Hey, this is Mason. I'm here. I am doing my own podcast. This is Anime Attic, which is brought to you by Meltdown Comics uh, over on Sunset Boulevard, which is great. You should come check us out at any time. In this show, we want to talk about the anime that people haven't seen anymore, the classic anime, the anime of the old school, the stuff that's gathering dust in your attic. I'm not alone in this. I brought with me experts. The first one that I'm going to have introduce herself is Raven. Hey guys, I'm Raven. I'm a cosplayer and probably the nerdiest person you will ever meet. So yeah. Yeah, and then also with us is the glorious Zara, who is a uh, Hollywood voice actress and also Japanese theater expert. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh yeah, well you're going to be here all the time. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you Zara for bringing myself here Yes, exactly. Today. Welcome to the club, Zara. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, we were debating about what we want to do, what we want to talk about, and came up with Utena. Utena, yes. revolutionary girl Utena. Kakume Utena. Amazing. Dude, Utena was one of my first manga. It was one of the first three that I ever read. That's awesome because I haven't read the manga. Oh, the manga's so good. That's, that's, well, we're going to talk about it. On this show, everything will kind of start with the anime series and then we'll discuss it and then we'll branch off into everything else that has ever been. And Utena, the anime series, came out in 1997 and it was revolutionary. It, it really blew... Uh, the, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> like that. It, it really blew the lid off of everything. I remember as a wee lad when the movie came out in 1999 that it was all the rage at all the anime cons that was all you could see it was everyone was playing it but it is radically different from the tv series so i had actually not seen it and i hadn't actually seen the entire tv series so in order to prep for this i watched the entire thing and now i'm up on my utana and i have to say zara thank you for introducing me to it oh you're so welcome you did him such a good i'm a big amazed favor. that you're awake and you're present right now no it was because I mean, I remember when I first watched the show, I saw it. It was orientation week, freshman year of college. So I watched the whole thing in like three days. And I had the most crazy dreams for a week. Yeah. Yeah. I had crazy (laughs) dreams last night. It's just an amazing series. I mean, this series has everything. It has action and adventure and romance and incest and amazing visuals. Symbolism. The direction is amazing. Yeah, I really like the minimalist, surrealist approach. It's very Mm -hmm. surrealist. And what I really got into was that it allows you to bring your own interpretation to a lot of things. I like that about it. It challenges you intellectually. It's not just sit back and watch the show. Not only the ending where you're not quite sure what happened. Yeah, I want to talk about the ending for sure. But let's talk about the beginning. Sarah, why did you suggest Utena? What what is it to you? Well... I uh, had first become aware of it in high school when they first started releasing the dub, DVDs of the dub, and a friend of mine had bought it and had introduced me to it, and so I went on to watch it. And something that drew me to it was, you know, I went to a women's college, and so it was really popular at our oh, anime man, club as well. just like, uh, yeah. well, they're co-ed. It's co-ed, yeah. but, but just the idea of a woman kind of, issuing her role in society and being like, and you know what? No, I'm a prince. I'm going to be the defender of other women. And I'm going to be, you know, I don't, I'm not going to dress in the girl's uniform. I'm going to dress the way I want to dress. There's something incredibly, I don't want to say empowering, but there's something really, I really enjoy that they use the word prince and they stuck to that rather than doing the whole, like, Mm. I'm a female knight. I love, I really, really love that Mm -hmm. they're like, no, I'm a prince because the prince saved me in the beginning. So I am going to be a prince to help like, be him yeah. and, and to kind of thank him for saving me all those years ago. Well, that that was the mythos where it started. But yeah. actually, as the show goes on, there's a different reason. And in the, towards the ending, or they, uh, it may be different in the manga. But as a child, the prince shows her an- auntie, auntie, auntie. You can angle, uh, romanized, Himemia. Romanized Anthe is fine, but Ansi is how it's pronounced in Japanese, but romanized, yeah. Right. The the prince shows her Ansi and is like, oh, I can't save her. And then Utena, who is at at the very least infatuated with her, is like, I will save her if you can't. I will become the prince that can save her. It's also, in a sense, though, a coming of age story because it's her saving herself. Utena is an orphan. Her parents die young. Yes. And so by saving this princess, it's not so much a romantic, I will save you, the princess, but by saving this young girl, I save all of us women. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was one thing that they talked about in the show was that the prince was responsible for saving all of the girls. 
mm-hmm. but it was wearing him out. Like he couldn't, he couldn't <laughs> hack it or whatever. Cause he oh, was Princey. Like, and then oh, yeah. Ansi was like, no, no. I'll it was st-. like Prince Dios, right? Yeah, yes, Dios. Dios. The alter ego of, of uh, Akio. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert, guys. But it's like the corruption of innocence over time. Like anything pure. Utena represents the pure hearted. Wait, well, wait, not only uh, that, but we, like, before, especially oh. in the manga, they very, very much play off of that Dios is the savior aspect and Akio is very much the devil. He's Lucifer. Lucifer. They actually call him yes. that. They call him the morning star. Exactly. So he's very much the Lucifer aspect that that is twisting Utena to his own purposes and using Anthe to do it. Mm-hmm. In in the manga. In the manga. Oh. Also I mean, in the they, anime. They very much play that in the anime. They just don't go do it in quite as explicit terms. Right. That's interesting. I, I definitely... Okay, wait. For the listeners, someone give a, a brief synopsis of Utena so everyone can follow what we're talking about. Zara, so Zara, it was yeah, Zara, your choice. Go, you should do it. it. The story story starts uh, with a new student at a high school, Utena Tenjo. And she immediately, she starts off new in the school, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you, she comes into contact with various members of this organization called the Student Council and ends up kind of suckered into an after-school fencing duel, a series of fencing duels that she thinks in a sense are just, you know, the very first duel she sees a guy, Sionji is his name, a member of the student council, abusing his girlfriend, Anthe. And so she says, hey, guy, that's not cool. And he's like, well, let's fight after school. So it's I love that this show, it's about teenagers, even though there's all these other things we're talking about, symbolism, whatnot. It's very much a teen high school story. And so she she meets Sionji after school, faces off with him. And before she realizes it, these duels have so much more to them than just simple fencing. They're done on this elaborate ground on top of the castle. This castle moves into the sky. There's a magical power imbued in the sword. And she ends up winning that first duel and then winning Sionji's girlfriend, Anthe, who starts following her around. And so she, from that point on, develops this friendship with Anthe, trying to figure out, hey, why are you following around whoever wins these duels? Don't you think this is strange? And just trying to understand this complex magical environment around her. Because she's the only one outside of the student council that really participates in these duels. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason she can participate in the duels is because when she was a child and saved by the, quote, prince, the prince gave her a ring with a rose insignia. And he said, little one bearing up under such hardship. Yeah. You know, if you wear this one day, you will come back to me. Yeah. If you don't, if you don't lose your nobility, then Then, you will 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 find me again or whatever. This ring will lead you to me. And Utena was like, I want to find him again. And all of the members of the student council have the same ring and they call it the duelist ring. And it's what allows them to participate in these duels. Yeah, it's the rose duelist The rose seal. Yeah, the rose seal. Bara no kakuin. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And it basically follows that they are dueling for Anthe because Anthe is what's called the rose bride. And the idea is that whoever wins the dueling arena is this crazy surrealist arena in a forest behind the school that is actually this elevated floating platform above which hangs a giant upside down castle. Mm-hmm. That, that totally doesn't reuse the same animation going up the elevator every single time no. in every single episode. Well, I, mean, I don't know what you're talking about. I That's no totally idea. not a thing it's from that like era. It's not like Voltron at all. No. Anyway. Um, <laughs> That's where they have the duels. And to get into the duels, you have to have a rose ring because otherwise the gate won't open. That's actually a thing that's only in the anime that doesn't... that They play at that in the very beginning of the manga, but that never comes up again after the first iteration where she goes in and presents the ring. Oh, wow. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, that's cool. I didn't know that. Because it's a, it's a motif throughout the entire anime. Mm-hmm. It's reusing animation the entire time. Uh, and they're fighting for the power... To say to revolutionize, revolutionize the, world, the world, to completely change the world, which is the power the of Dios. Right, Dios is. It turns out Dios is the name of the prince, the one who gave her the ring, and is supposedly in the castle. And each of the members of the student council have different reasons for wanting to change the world, mm-hmm. and they have this recurring um, speech. The student council, whenever they have a meeting, they go up this elevator, da, 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 yeah. and this organ music plays. Right. Yeah, and they totally don't reuse the animation. And for they that have, as well. uh, and they have this. Well, they have this awesome speech by Toga, and he's like, "If a chick doesn't break out of its shell, it'll die." We are the chick, the world is our egg, and we have to break the world. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And it's got this great organ music. 
And they appear in silhouette one by one as the elevator goes up. So a big thing I just want to point out about the art direction of the show. Oh, yeah, it's all amazing. Of that it's and they do amazing. so much in silhouettes I know, and it's shadows. So good. Shadow play. And, and never mind the fact that they've also got the Greek chorus yep. that, that tells the story for a the good shadow portion girls. of it. The shadow girls. Yeah. Um, that tell kind of these little sections of the story that then the overall episode follows. Yep. Yeah, it's fantastic. Watching the TV series for the first time, I was really blown away by A, the character designs, which are ahead of the curve in 1997. Seven, yeah. And the art is fantastic. The voice acting is really great, particularly if I can shout out Utena, played by Tomoko Watanabe. She really rocked it. I actually met her. Can I just what? Go for a second? Yes, totally Please talk about girl. that. When I uh, was an intern in Japan during college, uh, I was an intern at a TV station. We went into a recording of I forget what anime it was, but Tomoko. I think her last name at that point was Kawakami. She was in that show, and so I mentioned to the producer, like, "Oh, I loved her in Utena," and so <laughs> I got to meet her, and she was like, "Wow, it's so nice to meet an American fan," and so she signed my script. Oh, uh, but as Utena, oh, that's like, awesome. she's just so, so nice good. and sweet and so talented. I'm so jealous of you. That's fantastic. That's really amazing. cool. Yeah, she really rocked it. She rocked that role. I have to give it to her. So, man, that's great. The voice acting was amazing, but the art direction is really uh. what got me. The art was so fantastic. The character designs were so great. And then the way that they took it, it's very. it has a very surreal feel to it. And the shadow play in particular was very amazing to me. And I remember when I saw the movie way, way long ago, way before, the shadow play is the one that really blew my mind because I was like, oh, what an interesting visual technique. But it's true. In the TV series, they use it all the time. I mean, they use a lot in the movie too, just not as much as they do in the show. Right. And all the characters are pretty interesting. There's the no characters like, are amazing. No, yeah, absolutely. They're so developed, which, which and is distinctive. An interesting thing. It's I came from reading the manga. So in the manga, it's a five volume series, which really is a four volume series because there's a good portion of the end of three and about mm. half of the end of five is actually just kind of side stories that get explored in the anime. They stretch basically this four volume series into this 39 episode anime. So there's a lot of filler. They added in characters because the character of Nanami, Toga's sister, doesn't exist in the manga. Mm. And she's such a great character. She's such a Some great character. Some of the most memorable episodes and humor. She's Dude, the comic the one, relief. The one where she and the kangaroo are boxing is kind of my favorite thing <laughs> of the entire anime. I have to say, people always come to me and talk to me about outfits and, and costumes and stuff where anime is concerned. And I was always like, eh, you know, whatever. Like, I mean, they look cool. I'm not going to worry about it. But when Naname joins the student council and when gets her dueling duelist, outfit, it's so it's cool. really good. Yeah. I was yeah. like, wow, she looks amazing in that. Yes. I love that outfit. Anyway. Cosplay's the best. I mean, what? And then the movie was like a reinterpretation of the anime. So I had never seen the series. I went straight from reading the manga to watching the movie. And oh, wow. I was so confused. <laughs> Understandable. Nanami plays such a bigger part in the movie than, yeah, even in, in the anime. Because she's really mostly comic relief in the anime. And yes, she has a couple parts where she's dueling Utsuna, but mm -hmm. she, her character really can be taken out and the story still makes sense. But she plays such a big part in the movie with the whole backstory of Toga and with uh, Toga having been in a relationship with Utsuna and having he, where she actually thinks he is her prince That's right. for a while and then him being dead and all of this other things. So I was very, yeah, very Spoiler confused. alert, Toga's dead the whole time. In the movie. In the movie. In the movie, in the movie only. <laughs> but it, it, the movie just takes this whole another perspective and it's not yeah it it doesn't go off the manga at all yeah and it's so interesting that you, you see this often in manga and anime where it's canon alternate universe fiction <laughs> that's the best way i can describe it it's reinterpreting what you've already done what you've already established as your story but from the creators they're just telling the story in a different way which i think is so cool and you don't see that very often here in the west no but you and, do and you with don't see like as much batman in, and uh, stuff i guess it's anime point. either a lot of the more recent anime they tend to very much stick to what happened in the manga or whichever one came first. Mm. They they tell the same exact story. You can see it in Attack on Titan and a lot of those ones. I cannot watch the anime for Death Note because it is the exact same story, except they take it way more over the top. 
But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. Or like uh, Full Metal Alchemist. Well, but Full Metal Alchemist didn't because the original anime series for Full Metal Alchemist split from the manga about halfway through. And right. that's where you got the whole the whole brotherhood thing is brotherhoods going back and retelling the story of the manga, but in an anime uh, format. Okay. But again, we're getting off topic. Sorry. So it was a very, very jarring thing to go from the manga of Revolutionary Gautana to the movie that going back and watching the show, it put the movie in so much better context and I actually understood what was going on a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as you can for understand what's going on for the movie where people are turning into cars and all of that stuff. Yeah, I have to say that um, I went back and rewatched the movie and if I hadn't so recently watched the TV show, I would not have been able to follow it at all because I was like, this makes no sense. But mm-hmm. it's, it is. It's an alternate universe retelling retake mm-hmm. on the whole concept, which is cool. I wonder if a viewer had never seen or read anything about Utena before, if they were to just go and watch the movie. I know that's what some people's experiences are. And I feel like the movie doesn't really stand alone on its own. I feel like if you were to watch it without any knowledge of the TV show or story in the manga, you'd be like, what? Did I just do for two hours? I mean, yeah. that's what I did, and I'd read the manga. Mm-hmm. So you, it's it's more than just needing context to the show. You really need the to watch the actual show. You can't just yeah. read it. You have to watch it to understand what's going on. It. Yeah, all that's exactly movie. what I, I did. Exactly that ten years ago, mm. where I had never, you know, everyone just said, "Ooh, no, watch it, watch it." And so I watched the movie, mm-hmm. and stunning visuals, mm-hmm. absolutely. absolutely stunning visuals. But I was just kind of like, well, it's a super pretty movie. I don't really understand what's going on or the characters or anything. There's like fighting. and. I mean, I would say if you're just watching the movie, you would completely miscategorize mm-hmm. Revolution of Utena genre-wise because the movie falls much more under like the crack genre with FLCL, but without the comedic aspect. or F- like FLCL being Fully Cooly. Yeah, Fully Cooly mm-hmm. or Excel Saga where the anime doesn't have to make sense to have a plot, if that makes any sense. That does make sense. If you'd just seen the movie, you would completely miscategorize the genre, where the rest of the show actually makes a lot of sense, even if it does leave a lot of questions unanswered. Yeah, definitely. I agree with everything you just said. But anyway, what is up with all the sisters loving <laughs> to death so their, their, their brothers? <laughs> I mean, it is. It, it happens in anime all the time, and, and you get this uh, younger sister falling in love with her older brother thing. Mm-hmm. That's like an anime trope. And, and also, uh, you get it, a brother falling ways. in love with his sister sometimes. But this show took it to the next level. It was never, it was like, if you are a girl and you have a brother, you're in love with him. Even if you don't know it, it's going to come out. Yeah. So I think that this show in particular is very much about top-down trickle down. And by that, I mean, something happens at the core of the story. In this case, without giving too much away, the conflict between Anthe and her older brother, Akio, that's played out over centuries or however long it can kind of be interpreted. Anyway, their brother-sister relationship trickles down and it all the other brother-sister relationships in the show are foreshadowing what we then later learn about that big brother-sister event that happens with Akio and Anthe. Also, the show is very much about adolescence and coming of age. And I think something that a lot of people grapple with naturally in the psychology of adolescence is figuring out where your relationships and allegiances are with your family as you get older and how you navigate puberty. And not to imply that everyone is exploring (laughs) their feelings for their sibling as they go through puberty, but that's kind of what this show is getting at, is kind of in the maelstrom of emotions and hormones, what happens when the person who's closest to you of the opposite gender hurts you in some way? Can your reaction be anything less than romantic in the sense that this person has hurt you deeply. What are you going to do to get them back? Also, where are these people's parents? That is another question. No, it is a boarding school. I know they do very much outline that in the manga because they actually show Utna at her previous school, which was not a boarding school when she was living with her aunt. And at the very beginning, she gets the invitation to go to this boarding school that her aunt had gone to. That is the academy that she starts at at the very beginning. And they do talk about how it's a boarding school and all of that stuff. So you don't have to worry about the parents. And that talks about why they all have in, they're all in dorms too. Mm-hmm. And Does, they never flash to any of their home lives. I mean, they do Toga and Nanami's briefly. But, yeah, because they live off campus or whatever in their own house. But if it's very much a child's world, there aren't very many adults in this world. The adults that no, there and, are and are and shown the, only from the mouth down in a yeah, lot of the cases. Yeah. And one of the things that Akio says, anyone who stays at this school never grows up. Mm. 
And he, so it's that kind of, that kind of, <laughs> <laughs> so, I like how we went in two completely different directions for that. But our instinct was to whisper into the, yeah. I know. <laughs> but the, but the concept again, reinforcing the egg that you have to break yes, out. Ooh, yes. That well, and out. that also, I don't remember how the anime completely ends. I remember that it made even less sense than the manga, but I know, spoiler, spoiler alert, guys, yeah. at the end of the manga, when Usna has defeated all of this and merged with Theos and kind of revolutionized the world, they come to and Anthe is the only one who remembers Utena um, yep. and all of these characters, but they're living in a much more normal society now. And Anthe is now kind of taken over the role of Utena being the one who wears the boy's uniform and all of this stuff and is now the prince moving forward. Oh, oh interesting. That's interesting. It's slightly different at the end of the anime. Yeah, if you want to talk about it, you can. Or and I, I know you just it. watched oh, this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah it's, it's very different. Utena, spoiler alert, this is the end of Utena TV series. Utena faces off against Akio in the final duel. Epic. And it is epic. And then Anthe goes and fulfills her Rose Bride duty and starts taking the swords and and slings and arrows, if you will, of the world's hatred. So that I forgot about that. So that she kind of becomes like the the sacrifice. yeah, Yeah, so that she can take all the hatred of of the prince not being around so that the prince can go and change the world. But he can't open the door because he's lost it, you know? He's no he's, longer Dios. Yeah, he's lost his younger vibe. But Utana has it. So she goes and through sheer persistence opens the door and triggers the revolution. And the whole deal is she's trying to save Ansi. What's their relationship? We'll get into that in a second. Their relationship and, is very interesting. Yeah, it is. And, and but it changes depending it on whether change. you're in it the does, manga, I, the anime, or the movie. Yeah, so I definitely want to talk about that. But yeah, so she opens the door and she's like, Ansi, I'm here to save you. And Ansi can't believe it. And she's like, no, you have to go. And he's like, no, no, I'm here to save you, here to save you, here to save you. But Ansi takes too long to grab Utena's hand or I think they do grab but then it's too late the world breaks apart and Ansi falls and that's it that's you don't you don't get to see what happens to her Utena dies or something happens to her where she gets hideously she transmogrifies well but they don't that's show a great it word. it's unclear what happens yeah, to her it, she's just Only lying she's, no she's longer. lying lifeless as the swords all come and tear the world apart and kind of revolutionize yeah it. don't the swords all race toward her yeah they race well first they tear apart the arena yep. and then they race towards her and then it cuts to the next day at school, or I guess time has passed at school. And yes, everyone is in a much more normal school environment. They remember her, but they're like, oh yeah, didn't she get expelled because she did something with the chairman who was Akio Akio with the chairman? Or she was, or they were like, oh, wasn't she hurt? I heard she was hurt real bad and she had to go to the hospital. And then no one really remembers. And Akio is uh, once again still the chairman. And he's talking with Ansi and he's like, oh, I'm rewriting the rules to the rules duel. It's going to be- start over. Yeah, we're going to do it again and, and we're going to do it better or whatever. And Ansi breaks away from him and she puts her glasses down and is like, you can stay here in your own little world, but I'm leaving. And he's like, what? And at the very end, she's- She's leaving the school, again, calling back to his whole thing of like, you never grow up if you stay at the school. And she's like, all right, you came and looked for me, Utana. Now I'm going to go look for you no matter where you are. That, that's also a very shared sentiment to the end of the manga where she's like, I'm going to go find her, this yeah. person that nobody remembers. Yeah. I'm going to find her. I'm going to be the prince. I'm going to go save her this time. Yeah. And that's awesome. I was yeah. totally down with that. It's way better than, you know, Utsuna turning into a car and Anthe driving her. Well, that was very, that, that's the ending to the movie. And that's very symbolic. That's, that's. Um, it's symbolic to where they put their, their, where they took their relationship in the movie. Well, in the movie, I, correct me if I'm wrong. I think in the movie, they openly state that the Rose Bride sleeps with whoever. Is, oh, absolutely. And there's yeah. a romantic and, ballad, Sometimes Love Is, or At Times Love Is, Toki ni Aiba, where they dance romantically under the stars and gaze into each other's eyes. It's very much more overtly romantic in the movie, the relationship. Yeah. Yes. And, but that, I do want to talk. So let's talk about Ansi and Utena. One thing that definitely really rocked me about this TV show, the anime, was the homoerotic undertones. Oh my gosh. Are prevalent everywhere to say which is great because this least. was 1997 yeah, yeah i mean it was definitely I, revolutionary I could, yeah revolution I, I could definitely see the lgbt you, crowd, <laughs> you know hopping on this and being like this is amazing and stuff and it's true i did a little research and i found out that utana and Nancy share what's called in japan a class s relationship which is when you're a schoolgirl before college you develop deep bonds with your classmates who are of the same sex 
And maybe that gets a little fuzzy, but everybody's totally cool with it. It's like, oh yeah, well that's just, you know, that's school. But then when you graduate and go to university, they're like, oh, well that's, you know, now, you, now, now it's, it's time, time to, to grow, grow up, up and join society yeah, and exactly. have a proper relationship. Marriage. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. let me be clear. I'm not an expert on that, but that's just my understanding of it. And maybe I'm totally wrong, but it's interesting because in American society, everyone's like, oh, in college, everyone experiments, all I, all but then I you wanna, graduate. Well, and, all I want to say is if you're a little bit gay in college, you're a little bit gay in real life. There's no difference. Right. I mean, yeah. I think sexuality is a spectrum, a fluid right. spectrum. Yeah, yeah. There you go. I like the way she put it. I, I agree That's with that. That's a great way to I put it. Anyway, anyway um, but and it's especially but, fluid in Revolutionary Girl Utena. Extremely yeah, fluid because it's completely different in all three aspects. Because in the manga, Anthe makes a move on Utena, and Utena's like, "Wait, what? What? What are you doing?" And yeah. and she gets very up in arms, not that she's rejecting it, but that it's not what it was expected because Anthe is like, oh, well, no, part of my job is to serve you. And that kind of shows the whole thing where she was Sionji's girlfriend. Mm-hmm. And that's why is because Sionji was taking advantage of that relationship. And Utena very much states, I'm not going to take advantage of this. You know, you need to be your own person. And that's something that's very, very big in the manga is she's constantly trying to make Anthe make decisions for herself and think for herself and all of this stuff instead of just being this shell of a person. Mm-hmm. And so it's it plays at the ability to have these kind of homoerotic undertones, but it doesn't really take advantage of them. It much more plays into the incest. Whereas in the anime, it at least has like a very blurry line. It's kind of blurry. Ansi doesn't make a physical pass at Utena until the end. As they near the end, they get a lot more kind of lovey with each other. Nothing ever really happens, but they they embrace more and they kind of get close to each other when they and they sleep in the same bed. They um, sleep also, um, you know, when they're staying at Akio's place. They yeah, sleep it's like a face yin-yang. to face. Yeah, right. With their you know heads facing each other and their feet on opposite sides. Right. And um, they, so if they if they both turn to face each other, they're basically almost kissing. In the anime, Ansi actually uh, is constantly referring to her as her her bride and all this stuff. And Utena at one point just flat out says, I'm not going to marry you. You're a girl. I'm not into that. I just want to be a prince. I don't want to be a boy. I'm a girl. Which doubles back and comes back on her because at the very end, when they actually realize that they do have pretty amazingly strong feelings for each other, even if it's on a deep... In the Plato ideals, there's the platonic good friend who is someone that you will do anything for and adore, but it's not sexual. This especially happens with teen girls. Like the bond the between teen girls, they're extremely strong romantic feelings, you might label them, that you have for your female friends growing up together that you wouldn't classify as sexual or romantic in the non-platonic sense, but they're still very, there's a very, there's not a word that can describe that that's accepted really in society. Yeah, no, I've, I've definitely seen it. I remember um, when I was growing up, you know, there was, and of course we would never think of it because we were kids in school or whatever. They were just friends, but there were girls that would spend the night at each other's house for like weeks straight. And then, you know, if any, sleepover parties, yeah. If anybody, if either of them went away on a trip or whatever, they'd write, they'd call, talk about how much they missed the other person, yep. and, you know, I mean, that was just it. What, what was interesting to me was the fact that, so in the beginning, Utena is like, no, I'm not going to marry you. I'm a girl. I want to be with a guy. And then at the end, when Utena is fighting for Ansi in the duel against Akio, Ansi betrays her. She stabs Utena in the back That's because right. she's like, yeah, watching you and how close you are to Dios, whom I love, I could see it. I could see it, but I can't be with you. You're a girl. And she stabs her. That's right. And is that, but here's my question, especially for you, Zara. Is it because she's a girl physically or is it because she's acting like a girl? Because that's like this, this weird theme throughout the entire thing where they're like, oh, "Oh, you're being girly. Oh, you're not being yourself. Please just jump on that right now. I think, I think it's the latter. It's because this is, this is the point I wanted to bring up. Utena's relationships with other men in the show. So her initial crush on Toga, that doesn't seem to really bother Anthe so much. But what really starts to rankle Anthe is Utena's growing relationship with Akio, Anthe's older brother. I absolutely love the relationship development of Utena and Akio. You see how he starts out as this, you know, handsome older man. Like, yes, of course she has a crush on him. Why Who, wouldn't who's she? Engaged, who's engaged? Yeah, who's totally who's engaged? engaged? <laughs> Yeah, 
友達同士。But she starts to kind of project, you know, it's the classic brother sister thing where it's like, oh, if you're dating someone's brother, it's really because you're in love with their sister, but the brother's the male version, so you're going to be with him.、Um, I think Akio's gradual manipulation of Utena, which culminates in the amazing episode where he finally gets her to sleep with him、oh, in, the, in the car. In the car. Yeah.、Oh, that's that a, car. You don't. Okay. I just have to say this episode, spoiler alert for this episode, Utena is basically talking to camera the whole time, and you don't know who she's talking to. You know, she's talking to someone. You start to suspect it's Akio, but it's not revealed until the very end that it is Akio. And like the last scene of that episode, essentially, she is in bed after they've presumably had sex or are about to have sex, and she's. Questioning, so I think that's the moment where societally people are like, "Oh, she lost her innocence because she had sex with Akio." And I think for Anthe, that's what Anthe perceives as well: is like, "Oh, you're no longer a prince because you gave yourself and your femininity over to a man, and he has made you a woman." Well, not only that, but that's also when you see her kind of transition from. I know in the manga it's a really big thing where she's a prince, she's a prince, she's the she's the rose duelist, she's the rose duelist, and then Akio's like, no, you're going to become my rose bride. That is the culmination、yep. of all of these things. Is you're going to be my rose bride, and you see her resisting this for so long, and then she has that moment with Akio, and then she kind of she doesn't explicitly accept it, but she gives in to him,、mm-hmm. and that's when it moves、yes. forward where she becomes the rose bride, and Anthe becomes the sacrifice, and all of this stuff, and and that's kind of the moment. Where you see, even though Anthe's been helping Akio manipulate Utena into、yes. this position, that you really see Anthe not be happy with this, right? But it's it's this really cool thing of Utena kind of taking her own power when she calls herself the prince, because even、mm-hmm. she gives in, she becomes the Rose Bride for a time, and then she sees what's going on and is like, "No, I'm not okay with this," and then takes back her mantle as the prince、right. to save and revolutionize the world, and takes back her innocence essentially, is、yeah. that because she's the only one who can open the door,、mm-hmm. like.、Yeah. She hasn't lost anything, but that temporarily throws her off her path. Her infatuation with Akio, and I think that's why Anthe gives the speech at the end that she does. But they don't call it innocence when they're talking about it. They call it her nobility. nobility. They're like, "Don't lose your nobility," which I came to realize was a very thinly veiled reference to your virginity. Um,、uh, I, would I would disagree. disagree. <laughs> Because I think let's this, disagree. This proves that it's not the virginity. She had sex with Akio and lost her virginity to him. But, but she, that's again, not the thing that defines her nobility. No, it's not. It's no, it's, no, no, it's her I'm, taking I'm, her own power up because that's what allows her. Her nobility is what allows her to be the prince. And if her nobility was the same thing as her virginity, she could never be the prince again, and she would have to be forced to be this rose bride character. But because she is able to take up the mantle of the prince again, then it can't be the virginity because you can't get your virginity back. You can't. I've tried.、Oh. <laughs> no, okay, that, that's valid. I'm, I'm wrong on that. That's that's good. No, but that's interesting, Mason, because you think that potentially that's maybe what Dios meant, but it's well, not the truth. Like Dios may think like your nobility—that's part of it, your virtue—and that's what I think it was. I, think I that would disagree because he doesn't necessarily use that in the manga. I mean, and granted, the anime is a completely different interpretation, but that's not how it's approached in the manga. It's really that Dios's power is fading, and she needs to take on the mantle of Dios to save and revolutionize the world. Well, then of course there's the fact that Dios. There's a Dios aspect and an Akio aspect, and the Dios aspect comes down and infuses in her during the duels. At at times, she can use the sword to to call him down or whatever, and then she gets、the、a little power. Yeah, she gets a little power boost, and you know she kicks butt. But then, can we discuss the fact that the sword comes out of Anthony's? Bu- Anthe, yeah, this、Anthe's、was really、bosom. this was really trippy to me because this is never really explained. So when they go and have the dueling well, fights, they, they call her the sheath. The the rose bride is the sheath of the sword of Dios. Well, I missed I missed that. Well, I know they do. They talk about that in the manga. But the point is, I mean, I, and I want to hear more. But real quick, initially only Ansi can do it. Only Ansi can deliver the sword. And whoever, whoever in all in, of the filler episodes, yeah, yeah, and then whoever is engaged, whoever wins the Rose Bride and is currently engaged to her, can pull the sword from her. Or she can summon the sword and, and, and give it to whoever. But later in the episodes, Ansi can pull the sword from Utna, and then in, and then there's still other aspects where other members of the student council can pull swords from themselves or have like yeah, their perspective. Well, 
The way I would kind of interpret that is when Anshi is able to pull the sword from Utsuna, isn't that after Utsuna has kind of at least started to accept the mantle of the Rose Bride? Or if I remember she correctly. she started to explore her femininity. Yeah, that's, that's, that's where, she, where she is kind of becoming the Rose Bride character, which is why she is able to be the sheath of the Sword of Dios. And the whole... Uh, student council thing, that's a thing that Akio does specifically. And right. they, they're not pulling the sword of Dios because no, no, Utsuna it's, has it's, that. It's imitation they're, they're, swords. They're imitation swords. So they are not the same thing. That That's kind of a manipulation that Akio does. So it, that, that is really because they needed to add more episodes because well, yeah. filler. Got to sure, expand a sure. five uh, book thing into a 39 well, story. But this brings an interesting question. So is it that originally you're a girl and then you become or like your goal is if you survive the trials of the world, you become a rose bride. And at that point you're able to be a sheath and can pull a sword. Well, from I, yourself. here's what I think on the first. Level, and, and the fact that Utena like stands against all of that. That's a good question. The, the symbolism in the show has so many levels to it. And which is why this is a great unreal sh- levels. Uh, yeah. I mean, I do a rewatch of this show every three to four years and I'm still seeing new things and I'm still blown away every time. It's, it's a show with great rewatch value. So are we doing an anime attic rewatch this next time altogether? <laughs> is, is this <laughs> what I'm hearing? We should. Oh man. But so the, I remember, you know, the very first time seeing the first episode with some friends we were all teenagers. We were snickering at the swords falling in that first fencing scene and girls giggling. And the girls giggling excitement got higher and higher and the swords kept falling faster and faster. Clearly the swords are penis imagery. And the woman as a sheath, I don't need to spell how explicit that is. So on the surface level, swords represent masculine power. They represent masculine worldview. They represent who's in charge right now. They represent essentially you need a sword to get ahead and you need to be able to wield the sword successfully. So on one level, you have the sexuality and the gender uh, balance of swords and sheaths. Going further, going to the next level, it's interesting when you bring up, you can pull the sword out of yourself. You know, at what point does Utena start being able, you can pull the sword out of her. What more, what further might the swords represent other than this masculine dominance? Well, it's also interesting that the swords are different from each other. So Utena, Utena, when she pulls her sword, it is the sword of Dios. Yeah. And but Miki, but when he pulls his sword, it's like a thorn or something. I can't remember. Um, I think that's more because at some point in uh, Utena's transformation into the Rose Bride, she actually be- she and Auntie become kind of the same role. They become not the same person per se, but they're manipulating Utena to be the Rose Bride, which is why she's able to pull the sword of Dios is because she, her role is merging with Anthes. And couldn't it also be As they be get that, closer together. Yeah. yeah. And, and, I, and as she starts exploring more of the feminine qualities and starts being manipulated into this position to be Akio's Rose Bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And couldn't it also be that Ansi is in fact um, becoming more independent and kind of assuming characteristics of Utena. So she's able to draw the sword and stuff. And that's, yes, because, that's kind of interesting because they, I mean, they are at that point getting much, much closer. In their daily life and yeah. their school and interactions, Utena's helping Anthe to make more friends, to right. be more, you know, she's empowering her. So that makes a lot of sense. Their symbiotic relationship is... And, and it totally makes sense for the ending where, at least in the manga, you said Anthe dies in the anime, correct? Or no, she, no, she no, disappears? No. Utena does. Oh, Ut- well, yeah, she disappears in both. But where Anthe goes on and is and takes that more empowered role yep. at the end because Utena has bestowed that upon her. And she's almost become kind of the Utena yep. of the series through this whole Utena thing. has saved the princess. Yeah, I mean, she has. Yeah, she she has revolutionized the world. And she did. She changed the world, um, at least Ansi's world, because Ansi at the end is becoming a full person. She is her own woman and she's leaving and she's leaving Akio, who is, you know, arguably a, a very abusive relationship. Yeah, because don't they talk about the fact that Anthe is not actually a person? That she is a role and that she's not whole. And at she was a points. witch. There's all yeah, these, there's all these theories about her. Yeah, Anthony yeah and, and then there's and, this whole thing about how she she chose that. Yes. She wanted to do that. She killed her brother. 
Well, yeah, she imprisoned she, him. She imprisoned him, and, and her brother him. is is Dios and Akio at the same time because Akio and Dios were one, or they were yeah. twins. Or well, Dios was Akio t- when he was younger. I would love to talk about that actually, and you brought that up earlier, Mason. This duality yeah. of Akio and Dios. Yeah. And can we talk a bit about like the religious symbolism? Oh, can that? we please? Oh, yeah. Sure. How how yeah. Dios is a god and all of this stuff, and they actually explicitly state in the manga, although they heavily imply it in the anime about how Akio is the morning star. He is Lucifer. He lives in a planetarium. Yeah, he does. And that's actually, uh, it's not in the car that uh, Utena loses her virginity in the manga. She actually loses it in the planetarium. Oh, well, they, they go to the How romantic. I know. Well, no, no in, the, in, the, in the TV show, they're like, they're I would hotel. lose they, they, you know, in the In the TV show, they go, because that's Akio's bedroom. And they go, oh. they go to there and... He's like trying to put the moves on her, and she's like, "No," because at that point she's seen Ansi and Akio together, and she's in the like, planetarium. In the planetarium, because that's his bedroom. That's and right. And she's like, "I hate this room. This is where you are with." No, no, no. This is. I think she finds that out after she and Akio sleep together. Uta and Akio sleep together. Then Utena walks in on Anthe and Akio doing it in the planetarium. Oh, okay. Because I don't think she would have slept with him. No, that's I, fair. I think you're I'm remembering right. correctly. You're, you're right. You're no, right. I, I think you're right as well. Because at but that I, point she was enraged. Well, I do know that and, and, that and, at and, some and, point she goes back to that room and yeah, he's yeah, putting yeah. the moves on her, and she and she's like, "No, this is where you do that with him." And then he spins it on her, and he's like, "You can't be mad about that." Ugh, um, man. He was like, "You can't be Thank mad you. about that because you seduced me when you knew I was engaged." <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's always the woman's fault, you guys. No, it's always the always. woman's fault. But uh, I mean, obviously, I don't think seducing someone who's married equates with sleeping with your sister. Also, these people are 15 years old. Can we just point that out? These are all 15, 16, this is definitely 17 a theme year old high school students. That I have seen yeah. in many animes, well, like they, especially Escaflorian stuff, where older. they have. Um, they have it's these people that are running around they look 20 22 but they're actually in in the text are 14 13 15 yep. yeah but getting back to the duality yes. sorry yeah continue oh no so i mean it's just so interesting the lucifer he's the morning star so there's the two elements of him dios the most pure and then akio what he's sort of Here's the question. Do you think that Akio, his becoming the morning star, was a gradual disintegration of Dios? Or do you think Dios always had... Is it implied that Dios always had that dark side to him? Well, at least in the manga, it's definitely... It's not a gradual thing at all. Dios never was... I mean, if it, I believe they said that Dios and Akio split. Either that or they were twins from the get-go. Akio was never Dios. The impression I got from the anime was that Oh, the, no, I'm saying the manga. No, I, and I get that. Specifically the manga. I get that. And, I say, and I'm saying that's interesting. But the impression that I got from the anime was that Dios was the younger idealistic version of Akio. And he was sealed away by Ansi or whatever. And then, then became this slow degradation of Akio becoming his current Lucifer state. Losing his innocence in a sense. So in a sense, Dios was kind of on the Utina path, but for whatever reason, couldn't sustain that nobility nobility yeah he got burned out he, yeah he openly says he's like i couldn't take it anymore mm-hmm. I got, and that he was pushing himself so hard to maintain this ideal that he got ill and that's why auntie was like if you keep doing it you're gonna die and he was like i have to do it i have to save the women and she was like no you don't you can just be here with me mm-hmm. and that was the the slow the start of the slow fall mm-hmm. and then but what's interesting is for whatever reason dios became a separate entity at some point because he's still in the castle entombed or whatever. He comes to Utena. Is it a Dios himself? I thought it was all like a projection of Dios and a projection of his power came down to her. I, w- I always took it. It was like his essence. Yeah. It's really unclear. First of all, welcome to never- <laughs> revolutionary girl. Utena. <laughs> if there are never- a lot of things that are unclear. If you've never seen the show again, it leads really heavy with its surrealist hand. So you can't be sure that what you're seeing is an actual event happening in the high school, or is it a deity or some sort of spiritual thing that's occurring? Or is it both? You know, Anthe and Akio are, or was it all a dream? We're like 15 and 21 year old <laughs> people in the show, but they also represent these archetypes that are centuries old. So it's hard to know how literal to take any of this. 
It's true. Well, what are the archetypes? That's interesting. Well, the the, the prince of the princess, the Dios oh, oh, and right, true. Yeah. sister. So like, or Dios and the witch, or whatever you right. call right. her they, at they any point say in time. That Ansi, when she convinces Dios to give up his saving women job, basically the townspeople are like, "Oh, you're a witch," and yeah. then she becomes. I think you said the the Rose Bride sacrifice, which was pretty fascinating. Yes. So splitting from the whole Ansi and Dios and all of that, can we discuss how I really enjoy that Sionji remains a despicable character the entire time? So often in so many venues, not just anime and manga, but like movies, all of this stuff. They give you these amazing, relatable backstories for these despicable characters that make you sympathize with them. No, Sionji's just a dick. Toga, he he starts off more dickish, but then yeah, let's you kind of see council. this progression where he becomes this better person by the end. Well, he falls in love with Utena, and well, that kind of softens him. Yeah, but it's not just that. Like, he also sees what's going on, and like sure. he, he grows along with it, where Sionji's just like, nope, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, I'm a dick, dick, dick. I don't know. I got I got the impression that Sionji was just kind of like doing his own thing. I, I don't know any, anyone expelled. who remember yeah. he was suspended and yeah. he was training with Choo Choo on his shoulder, right? Because he was that was the other thing in the anime at least. His point of view flip flopped. Originally he was like, I don't care about Anzi. I just want the power. Then later, but then he's, he's like, totally in love with. Yeah, Anzi. he's doing an exchange diary and he's like, oh, I, I can't wait for our secret meeting. And then later he's like, no, I didn't really care and. And he's like, I'm just hanging with my bro, Toga. And they have this like bromance kind of going yeah, on. Yeah, and great. slash ability too. There's, that's a huge genre. Yeah, of talk about slash the slash. Is, okay, because especially Toga? when they take pictures and they're in uniform and then the flash goes off okay. and they're like in male model shirt open. So I think Akio's sleeping with everyone basically is what's what? implied. What? Like, <laughs> he's taking pictures no. of Toga and Sionji shirtless. Slash, oh, slash fiction wise. And pictures of he's himself. He's flipping over the car. Like he drives Toga around in his car. So he drives everyone around. He drives everyone around. In his car. It's his uh, thing. It's, it's, <laughs> are we just saying that the car equals sex, and car. that when he drives someone around in his car, you know, he will have sex with them? Maybe imagery. because at, at one point, Miki and his sister, who's that's of course right. been in love with Miki or whatever, Kozue. Even though in the mm. beginning she was like, "I hate you, Miki," then later it's revealed that she's in love with him. I don't know. It's really weird. But no, um, no, I think she's saying I hate you, Miki, because she's trying to hide that she's in love with him. But it's so bizarre. I hate that like, I love you. you. Yeah, basically. Because yeah, he's it's, like, will you come play piano with me? And she's like, no. And then later she's like, but I want to get with you anyway. It's it's actually something that happens a lot in, in, in this genre of things where it's like, no, I'm going to outwardly show that I hate you because I'm actually in love with you. It's uh, Yandere. Mm. Yan- oh, it's a characterization. Anyway, we're going to okay. move on. Yeah, it makes but, sense. But a defense one- mechanism. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's used a lot. Okay. I mean, I believe it. Yeah. It was really weird. Welcome to human nature. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, it's good that they that they talk about that. The, real quick about the car. So, Miki and Kozu end up forming a tag team to go fence Utena. And while Miki is fencing Utena in a duel, Kozu is in the car driving around the arena with Ansi. And she's seducing her. She's like, hey, I hear you have this power that anyone who's engaged to you can have. And then she's like getting closer and Ansi is like reclining the seat. That's right. And then she's like, what kind of power is it? And then Mickey's like, what are you doing? And she's like, hey, pay attention to your fight or you'll lose. And then she ducks into the car with Ansi. That's right. So that was really intense too. Like the homoerotic uh, overtones are, are unreal. And I wonder, you know, you mentioned that this idea of power and how power is vested in the woman in all these different ways, right? So you have the woman yeah, who can have that's heavy. the noble power. You can have the woman with her sexual power. You have the woman who's a witch, but the witch, thats a, it's a form of power. It seems like it's examining all these ways that even though it's the men who kind of rule the world with their swords, it's the women who have all the power yeah, to control. I, I, anyway... Not to completely change the subject again, but there's one character we haven't talked about at all. Juri. Oh, oh Juri. She's I love Juri. so cool. Juri is like, so crushable. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. Can um, yeah, let's talk about her. Because can we please? It's fascinating. You can't you wonder, like, why isn't Juri the prince? Like, I know. Juri embodies so much of what Utena is embodying. But she kind but of has cold. this it's it's not just that she's cold, but she also has this acceptance of the status quo. And mm. this is this is what is happening and this is what the rules are. And I'm just going to accept that because that's mm. what I am told. Yeah. Whereas Utan is like, no, to heck with the rules. I'm going to break the rules. I am a prince. I am a female prince. And it's this this whole yeah, thing that Utan has carried this entire time that Juri lacks. Yeah, I think mm. that's exactly right. I think Juri is like, I'll change this world from within the system. And yes. and Utan is like, no, we need to In break the manga, the there wasn't there someone that Juri was fighting for? Well, or, sorry, not the, the manga yeah. in the anime. Yeah, Juri is in love. Well, it's interesting. 
interesting because back to homoerotic undertones. Oh yeah, this is this is fascinating. The whole so, episode or part of the episode, you think that she's in love with this guy because they keep showing these shots. She's looking wistfully at this guy, but then it's revealed that she's really in love with this girl that has a crush on that guy, and so she's staring at the guy because she's jealous of him because she's with. Wasn't it like a fencing captain or something like that? Former fencing captain's yeah, girlfriend. She was, she, yes. It's yeah. who Jury loves. She was, yes. Jury was fencing with the fencing captain and the fencing captain really liked Jury and Jury was not clear on, on her she intentions with that. And then, about him. She was ambiguous. And then at the same time, there was the friend. Oh, yeah. What was man. her name? I, I got it. Hang on. She uh, also becomes a duelist later. She does. Everybody becomes a duelist in this show. Shiori. Shiori. Yeah. Shiori. Oh, that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> so, Jury uh, was fencing with the fencing captain. The fencing captain was taken with Jury. And then Shiori, who is their mutual friend, decided to take the fencing captain from Jury and in, in the process shattering their friendship. Now, we're led to believe for a number of episodes that it's because Jury mm-hmm. was actually in love with the fencing captain. But uh, in the big reveal around episode um, twenty. Four or five. Is it that late? Yeah. Really? Yeah, because the Black Rose Saga doesn't happen until later. Uh, oh wow! So the different the Black the, Rose Saga, which is completely filler. Yeah, yeah. The, the we, we don't have to There's talk four about that. real no, quick. Really there's don't. four main story arcs in Utana. There's the Student Council Saga, which is her fighting the Student Council, and then it just goes into filler. <laughs> and then there's the Black Rose Saga where Utana has to fight this essentially this mikage yeah mikage this uh student counselor who is super manipulative and and manages to through psychosis trick all these people into becoming part of the black rose uh duelists it's a cool storyline oh it's it's a cool storyline or something like that what wasn't it that the one the reason they were the black rose duelists is because his the one that he was in love with was dead and that he was using he was in love with a little with the little brother yeah the little brother of um, homoerotic everyone's gay everyone's gay it's revolutionary we're just gonna we're just gonna say everyone's in love with everyone yeah anyway um but he was in love with the little brother who ends up uh being dead and that he's going to use the power of the rose bride and all of that to then bring him back to yeah, life be- because right. one of the things that they, he's his rose bride yeah one of the things that they oh, constantly yeah, he's going to make him the rose bride yeah. to bring him back to life because one of the things that they constantly talk about is that the power of the rose bride is quote something eternal quote and so everybody's like well something eternal is the power of miracles it's forever and ever and stuff and so if you're looking for immortality or to bring someone back from the dead that you need the power for the rose bride so that's the deal anyway yeah but anyway the big reveal is that shiori actually ends up coming to the school she's broken up with the boyfriend or whatever that happened you know way before and she confronts jury and she's like you know hey we can be friends and stuff and jury's like we can't be friends i can't handle it and she's like why that was so long ago and all this stuff and um jury has a locket that has a, a photo in it. Oh, and that's, that's the photo of And that's her. the photo that she's like of the person that she can't let go of. Yeah. And then it's revealed that, that Shiori is it. Which is in turn what makes Shiori turn to the Black Rose because she can't believe that. She really hated Juri because Juri was so much better than her in so many ways. And so she's like, I wanted to take him from her to show that I was better than her. But then she finds out that she's in the locket and she's like, oh, actually, I can't tell if it made her be like, oh, no, I love her, too. And I've really messed up. Or if it was just, yes, I've won. She she always wanted to be with me. Ha ha ha. And that that was what made her evil. I can't tell which which of those options. I was going to say, Mason, what you mentioned it calls back earlier to when we were talking about the swords and like when student council members all have different swords. So each of their stories you know, Mickey's story, Jury's story, Toga and Sayonji, they're all dealing with their own stuff on their development in this school. And then they're all, they all want to revolutionize the world for different reasons. And they each have their own issues. I think that their swords represent very directly the issues that they have. So in a sense, a sword represents the thing that is hurt you deeply, that's into you, that you pull out and you use that to fight Oh man! To make a change, that's that, heavy. That's, that's it's like wonderful. Your afflictions become your strength. Yeah, because yeah. Ansi's all about Dios, and Miki's all about his sister, uh, and 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 Utena's all about Dios too. Let's be serious. Oh sure, sure. <laughs> okay, one thing I want to talk about before we wrap it up. 
Um, the music in this show yes. is amazing. The show is beautiful. It's unreal. The they, music's amazing. The use of chorus and everything. Anytime Utna goes to fight a duel, there's this kind of dramatic chorus that comes in as she's riding up the elevator. And it's it's this very, very catchy drama music. The Absolute Destiny Apocalypse. Right, yeah, exactly. But what's interesting to me is for every duel, or at least what I remember, because they luckily they subtitled the music while it played. The words are different every duel, slightly. For the Zetai Unme Mokushiroku, or you mean the actual song that plays during the duels? During the duel, it's a but, different but, song. But it's it a all, different song each but time. But it all leads from the. Well, I the wanted chorus. to talk a bit about the composer. Please. So J. A. Caesar was the guy who composed the duel songs, the Zetai Unme Mokushiroku, and also toward the end, there's a, a second closer song. Virtual Star Embryology, which is one of my favorite anime songs of all time. So J.A. Caesar has been described as the John Lennon of Japan. If, wow. if John Lennon had survived and lived long enough to fade into obscurity. Wow. So J.A. Caesar, he did a lot of progressive rock, experimental rock in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Um, his stuff is wild. You should try to find recordings of his and listen to it. It, it. It's amazing. And so they brought him on board to bring kind of that sensibility to Utena. And it involves, you know, like metal guitars, these big choruses. And the, the, the words, the lyrics to these songs are so arcane and symbolic and, you know, scientific. Like some of these words are, you know, the Japanese words for, well, virtual star embryology and like talking about different aspects of astronomy. I remember I bought as many soundtracks as I could because I was fascinated by this music and I would go and I would play it in our science center in college at like 2 a.m. after I was done <laughs> studying, just hear it blasting at volume 11. It's so good. And in fact, the I'm music- is that your science center had such a good sound system. We did. I mean, that's where the anime club met. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> oh, keep the, keep the nerds in one building. <laughs> but- Actually, a lot of that music was then incorporated. There was a musical of Utena that came out in the early 2000s or late 90s. That is glorious. They produced a musical. All women, played by all women, so the men were played by women in keeping with the shoujo style. So a lot of J.A. Caesar's music was used, but also original compositions. You know, the dual theme was put to music. Oh, not sorry, not the dual theme. The student council's revolutionize the world speech was put oh, yeah. to music. The elevator speech. Um, Although I really like it just spoken against the organ. I know. It's so great. It's yeah. so great. The show has a rich, rich musical palette by the soundtracks. Like, check them out. It is some wild, trippy stuff. And I love the opening theme song as well. Oh, yeah. Which is great. And, I, and like I said, I think the, the lyrics, the fact that they're slightly different, like they talk about death and rebirth and the end of the universe and da 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 all that stuff. And it's, it's really fascinating. I also wanted to mention Utena is kind of playing on the genre of shoujo uh, anime and manga that kind of gave rise to the shoujo genre. Like there's so many, I don't know if, you know, a lot of listeners have heard of or watched Rose of Versailles, but Utena draws about heavily the similarities. Yeah, because like, I didn't know if Uta, and I I want to do Rose of Versailles on a on another show. But with the roses between the two, they're, they're both very rose. Roses where a woman plays a woman fulfills the role of a man, essentially. Right. And I was like, are these connected? Are they by the same writer? Are they by the same director? And I couldn't tell. 
not uh, not by the same writer, but um, Rose of Versailles, just really briefly, um, by Ryoko Ikeda, uh, came out in 1972. Oh. And the, uh, that was when the manga came out, and then oh, the anime okay. came a few years later. So that really is credited with kind of kicking off what's like one of the early shoujo st- uh, pieces. And so real, I... Real quick, what's shoujo? Shoujo, girls, girls anime. Girls anime. Whereas gotcha. shonen is more for guys, so that's where mm-hmm. you're going to find the Naruto, the Bleach, the One Piece. Yeah. All right. Dragon Ball Z. That's our, that's our educational bit. Thanks. And shoujo is known for its long flowing style of men who really are very feminine legs. looking. Yeah, just beautiful, intricate, flowing. Very bishonen. Bishonen, exactly. Yes. That's bishonen or from shoujo yeah. gotcha. manga. Or bishonen is a, a very pretty man. And then bishoujo is the very pretty women. Gotcha. Yep. Just really briefly, I mean, this whole woman as a knight goes back goes back far. It's Joan of Arc, yeah? Well, yeah. I mean, specifically in Japanese anime and and manga, you have Osamu Tezuka had a character, Princess Knight, which was a woman who dressed as a man and went around saving lives. He was also heavily influenced by the Takarazuka Musical Theater Company of Japan, which is an all-female theater where they the women play men's roles and they put on these elaborate productions. And so he was inspired by their aesthetic and... Princess Knight is cited as Ryoko Ikeda, who made Rose of Versailles, as her inspiration. And so, funnily enough, Takarazuka was then inspired by the aesthetic of Rose of Versailles, and they that became their top-grossing musical and kind of reinvigorated the company in the 1970s. Awesome. And so then, you know, 20 years later, you get the creators of Utena. You have to wonder, with all those aesthetics present in the pop culture, Utena, in a sense, is a commentary on that, and it takes it a step further. And that's amazing. Thank you, theater. Oh, yeah. Theater researcher. Gender theater is great. It's cool. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, I think this is one of the awesome things to talk about is how theater influenced uh, an- the anime or, or the manga, because there is there is a tremendous amount of crossover. Okay, so we, we've beat it pretty much to death. I, I love it. Thanks for thanks for talking about it. Um, we've beat it with the blunt sort of deals. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> the sword is now blunt. <laughs> <laughs> the sword is now blunt. And, we've, and now we've beat this anime. With Maybe it. that's why it breaks at the end. Dun, dun, dun. Oh. Anyway. oh. Okay, but real quick, um, in two minutes or less, I just wanted to talk about who's your favorite character, Raven? You can't do that to me. Go to go to her. Oh gosh, I, this goes counter to everything I've been saying the last hour. But I love Akio. <laughs> okay, thank you. I'm glad I didn't he have to say so it. So dreamy. He's so good. And just he's. I love a good villain. I love a good villain. And Akio's a great villain. He, he's he's good for the same reason that Ion from Chrono Crusade is good. But we'll talk about Chrono Crusade in an even later episode. Yeah. Anyway, I definitely want to talk about Chrono Crusade. I, I haven't seen Chrono Crusade, but I will so say, good. I think my favorite is Utena because she's just totally badass. I mean. The the, the big three, I think, are just amazing in general. You know, Utena, Anthe, and Akio. I am not into Anthe. I love her. No, no, okay. I admire who she becomes in the end. She's polarizing. You know, I admire who she becomes in the end. But getting there, that whole thing where Utena is like, you know, come on, man, make a decision. Come on, just do something. But you like, see, you, you know, also see her at the at certain points just manipulate the hell out of Utena. To she's she's seen what Utena's doing, and and she's going to, for Akio's purposes, manipulate her into position. And and it's it's so beautiful just to watch that. I want to give a shout out to Wakaba, Utena's true friend, yes. who's with her oh, the entire yeah. time. Doesn't have yeah. any magical powers. Doesn't really right. get involved. Sure. But is just always there for her. And I wondered what happened to Wakaba. In, in, she, you see her in the end of the manga, she's, and you see her in the end there. of the anime too. Does she remember Utena? No, no. She has. Oh, she has a new crush. She has a no Wakaba. So real quick, Wakaba is a schoolgirl companion of Utena, and in the beginning of the anime, Wakaba is. Her first friend, and she has a pretty much major crush. It's unclear if it's romantic or not, but it's a, it's a, one of those schoolgirl relationships that you were talking about there, mm-hmm. where she's like, Utena, you can be my prince. And she hugs her from behind all the time. And she's like, I'll do anything for you and I'll help you. And she's the one that, as Utena's relationship with Ansi and, and all the men in the show is very up and down. And Wakaba's kind of there as like her companion. And the reason Utena duels Saiji in the beginning is not because he slapped Ansi, although that was certainly an instigated thing. It was because he published Oh, that's um, right. Wakaba's he published the love letter journal diary. <gasps> I yeah. forgot that's about right. that. Yeah, he... he left it up on the wall and broke Wakaba's heart 
because all the guys read it and made fun of her. And so Utena went for that and That's was right. like, you're a dick and I'm going to fight you. That's and right. Because like, she had no idea what the Rose Bride was and all this stuff. Right. She just thought that he was being abusive yeah, to she, her, his yeah, girlfriend. Yeah, well, he was, I mean, it kind of said, um, he slapped Ansi. She's, she's like, well, he's a dick. And then he posted the My best love friend's letter, thing. And like, he, she was like, now you're going down. But it, what's interesting is, so Wakaba is in love with Sayonji. And after he gets expelled, he goes to live with her. That's right. She takes care of him. Which is so whacked. And he takes it. He's like, thank you so much. By the way, how's Enzi? Like, which just drives her up the wall. But at the end, she doesn't remember Utena, but she has become her own kind of more independent person. And she has a girl who That's has right. a crush on her. That's yeah. right. And, but she also, she's like, oh, maybe I'm going to get this boyfriend or whatever. I don't know. She's whatever. become a senior, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. senior year. Exactly. There you go. Okay, anyway, I really liked uh, Utena. I really liked... The fact that she went her own way, and I thought it was a wonderful message for uh, young kids of of both genders. Like you know, don't don't bow to the system, man. And I mm. I, I wish I had seen it when I was younger, but a lot of it probably would have gone over my head. Mm. Last words, anything? It's a great show. Everyone should check it out. Yeah, it's a great show. One of the reasons I really wanted to do this podcast was because I wanted to bring awareness of shows that you can't really like they're not they're not really promoted anymore or publicized but there's a lot of really really good stuff out there and revolutionary girl you know the tv series the movie the manga it's a wonderful wonderful series it's fantastic i highly recommend you go check it out i know we've talked about it all through for the last hour and stuff but see it for yourself make up your own decisions and you know tweet us or whatever and, and we'll figure it out okay well thanks guys thanks for coming thanks for listening yeah it was a lot of fun Bye. So yeah, that's the show. If you have any questions or comments or anything at all, you can feel free to hit us up on Twitter. We're at Anime Attic Love. We're also Anime Attic Love on Instagram. And you can hit us up on either one of those. We read all the comments. We try to answer all the questions. And we take any suggestions that you might have. So hit us up and we'll look forward to it. And we hope you enjoy the rest of the shows to come. Thanks for listening.